You just arrived for your professor's office hours with 10 minutes left. There's time for one question, and your professor has to answer quickly, but clearly and accurately so you understand. Welcome to Cali Laudables, your audio law professor. This is a question that has often perplexed not just law students, but also lawyers, judges, and even occasionally law professors as well. The first thing to notice with assumption of the risk is that there's two different kinds of assumption of the risk. There's primary assumption of the risk and secondary assumption of the risk. Notwithstanding the two different names, I think it's actually easier to first come to an understanding of secondary assumption of the risk and then come back to primary assumption of the risk afterwards. So let's start there. We'll start by comparing secondary assumption of the risk with comparative negligence. I'm going to suggest to you that are, there are two keys to distinguishing secondary assumption of the risk from comparative negligence. The first key is to realize that assumption of the risk is subjective while comparative negligence is objective. Second, assumption of the risk asks about voluntariness, whereas comparative negligence focuses on reasonableness. Well, let's try these distinctions out with a hypothetical. Let's say you're having a bad day. It's raining outside, your car won't start, your cell phone's dead, and so you're having to walk to school in the rain, and you're miserable. It's cold. Going down the road, when somebody stops their car, pulls down next to you, and rolls down their window and says, hey, would you like a ride? Being the cautious person that you are, you bend over, look in the car window, and you see that it's me, your favorite towards professor, offering you a ride to school. How nice. So you hop in the car. We start driving along, and you're sitting there being very careful not to drip any rain on my leather seats, when you notice that I am driving like a maniac. I'm driving way too fast. I'm swerving all over the road. In fact, before long, we get in an accident, and you are seriously injured in the accident. The police come, and they determine that I have been driving under the influence. Since you've been seriously injured, you decide to sue me for negligence. And frankly, you have a great case. Not only is driving drunk negligent, it's just downright stupid. But I'm a pretty savvy litigant. So in opposition to your complaint, I bring an answer which asserts two affirmative defenses, assumption of the risk and comparative negligence. Well, let's start with my defense of assumption of the risk. In order to establish assumption of the risk, I would need to show that the plaintiff, which is you in this case, knowingly and voluntarily encountered the risk. The risk in this case would be that we would get in an accident and you would be injured. So to start with, I need to show that you knowingly encountered that risk. Now, if I could show that you knew I was drunk when you got in the car, then I would probably have a pretty strong case showing that you knowingly encountered the risk of getting in an accident. I might look to certain facts, like were there beer cans strewn all over the floor? Could you smell the alcohol on my breath? Were there rumors going around campus that I'm a lush? All of these things might help convince a jury that you knew when you got in the car that I was drunk. 
But notice that this is a subjective inquiry. So if you can convincingly tell, say, that you were so distracted by my good looks and charm that you did not notice that I was drunk, then my assumption of the risk defense will fail. Now, you might have a little trouble convincing the jury of that after they get to know me, but um, once again, it's subjective. So if you didn't know I was drunk, the defense is going to fail for me. But let's say you did know I was drunk. Well, the next question we ask is, did you voluntarily encounter the risk of harm? This is essentially asking whether you had a choice in the matter. Now, you can make the argument that it was raining and it was cold and you were miserable and you had to get out of the rain and get in my car. That shows that you had some reason to get in the car, but it doesn't really show that you had no choice in the matter. I mean, unless you were threatened with death or otherwise compelled to get in the car, that's probably not going to be a very strong defense. So notice here that the strength of my affirmative defense of assumption of the risk is going to rely very heavily upon me being able to show that you personally knew I was drunk when you got in the car. Now let's apply comparative negligence. And notice how this analysis is different from the assumption of the risk analysis. To support a comparative negligence defense, I would have to show that you failed to use reasonable care. Notice that this is an objective inquiry. Thus, instead of asking whether you knew I was drunk, we're going to ask whether a reasonable person in your circumstances would have known I was drunk. So even if you individually did not notice these things, you can still be found comparatively negligent if a reasonable person in your circumstances would have recognized the signs of a drunk law professor. So, if I can overcome that hurdle and show that a reasonable person would have noticed these signs, then we ask whether a reasonable person, knowing that, would have gotten in the car with me. Note here, we're not asking about whether you had a choice in this matter. We're asking about whether the decision you made was reasonable. There might be times when it's more reasonable to get in the car with somebody who's drunk than to brave the elements probably going to be a pretty rare situation, it's going to be, have to be some pretty severe weather. But notice here that we're just looking at the reasonableness of it rather than voluntariness. So where does that leave us? Well, if you claim that you didn't know that I was drunk and the jury believes you, I can still prevail on a comparative negligence defense if I can show that a reasonable person in your circumstances would have noticed that I was drunk and therefore would not have gotten in the car. If, on the other hand, I'm able to convince the jury that you did know that I was drunk when you got in the car, assumption of the risk is my stronger defense. In that case, if I can show that you subjectively knew of the risk when you got in the car, then I merely need to show that your decision to get in the car was voluntary. Notice this, in either case, in most jurisdictions, I will have a partial defense to negligence. So whether the jury finds comparative negligence or assumption of the risk, the jury will then need to apportion liability between you and me. Now we're almost done, but not quite there. As I mentioned earlier, there's a second kind of assumption of the risk, what's called primary assumption of the risk. Now this 
primary assumption of the risk only applies in narrow circumstances. But when it does, it's a complete defense to negligence in most jurisdictions. So it's important to know. So let's take our facts and change up the facts a little bit. Let's say there's no rain, you're not on your way to school, and I'm not drunk. Instead, I'm an amateur race car driver, and I have invited you to go with me to the race car track and zoom around it really fast. You say, sure. So we go there and we race around and I drive very, very fast and we get in an accident. The car overturns, you're injured. Once again, you sue me. What makes this case different from the case we were talking about earlier is that it's a sporting event. In sporting events, we allow people to take risks that would be unacceptable in other situations. Think about this. If you're walking down the road and I run over and tackle you, that's probably going to be considered a tort. If, on the other hand, we were playing football and I tackled you, well, that's just all in good fun. So because of the difference in what we consider acceptable, many courts apply a different analysis when we're dealing with a sporting event. There are some courts that will go through the, the usual analysis for assumption of the risk and ask whether the plaintiff knew the risks of the game and voluntarily participated in the game. But more and more courts skip over that analysis and instead assume that anyone who participates in a sport automatically is consented to the risks that are inherent in that sport. So in the sporting event cases, you can basically throw out the assumption of the risk rules and instead ask whether the risk that plaintiff took was an inherent and accepted part of the game. So let's go back to the beginning. You had asked, how do you distinguish assumption of the risk from comparative negligence? In the run-of-the-mill cases, there are two keys to a distinguishing assumption of the risk from comparative negligence. First, assumption of the risk is subjective, whereas comparative negligence is objective. Second, assumption of the risk asks about voluntariness, while comparative negligence focuses on reasonableness. But then we have this wild and wacky set of cases dealing with sporting events. When you're dealing with a sporting event, you throw away all the rules and essentially say that if the risk the plaintiff took was an inherent and accepted part of the game, then we're going to assume that the plaintiff assumed the risk. In that unique situation, assumption of the risk is a complete defense. So I hope this has been helpful, and remember to drive carefully. Bunnables are produced and distributed by Cali, that's the Center for Computer Assisted Legal Instruction. You can find more Laudables at www.cali.org slash laudables. And you can send your questions and feedback to laudables at cali.org. That's L-A-W-D-I-B-L-E-S at cali with a C dot org. The Laudable theme music is Ask Me No Question by Learning Music. Laudables are for educational purposes only. Please seek an attorney if you need legal advice.